Hello, and welcome to Belonging Before Believing, the podcast where we answer your questions about the church from the inside, where Pat's a heavy breather and my belly's full of my mama's quesadillas. My belly's full of them too. Yeah. So is Paul's. So is Paul's. Yeah. Are you still here, Paul? Yep. Here. When are you going to get rid of this guy? I don't know. He doesn't contribute anything. He's just sitting over there making faces at us. Taking pictures. Did he? Did yeah. he take pictures? Yeah. All right. Finally, some value. People are going to see how low rent our, uh, <laughs> our studio is. Oh, if they can't know that already, then... Hey, it doesn't sound low rent. That's because I'm talking. When I, remember I don't to, sound low when rent. When I remember to plug the soundboard into the laptop. That, and you notice I'm not the one that's ever done that. Because you wouldn't know where to begin. That's why I got you. Yeah. <laughs> you make me look good. So Sound good. Pat's, not look good. I look good on my own. So Pat's a heavy breather because anytime he wants to get under my skin, he just... Hey, Brian. I love you. <laughs> oh, gosh. It's so bad. Which, it wouldn't be bad if he was like sitting across the table from me like he is, but because I have my headphones, have headphones in, on. it's like he's whispering in my ear. It's so bad. <laughs> I love it, dude. Uh, It's never going to get old. I know. You do it like every time. As often as I can get away with it. Yeah. 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 I don't blame you. I respect the game. Did you say something earlier about something else? You're a heavy breather and my belly's full of my mama's quesadillas. Quesadillas. Those were so good. Dude, my mom. That guac she made was really good, too. She lays it down. And she was complaining. Not complaining. She was apologizing. that It's not the way that I would normally do it because, you know... You don't have the spices that I would normally... So I just did the best I could. Oh, my gosh. That's my mom. What's her name? Dorinda Sue. Yeah, and, w- dude, you called her that. You called her by her first name. You oh, don't do that. You don't call your mom by her first name, dude. So, Patrick... It doesn't matter how old you are. Pat- that's what I'm about to say. Patrick, the 45-year-old, was appalled when I said, <laughs> why you got to bring Dorinda into this? Because he said something about my mom. And then he goes, what? What are you doing? You Could never- you imagine? This is what he said. Can you imagine me calling my mother Dixie? And in my mind, I'm just like, I call her Dixie all the time. Yeah, sure. you do. <laughs> I don't. She's mom. <laughs> mom. I call her on the phone. Hey, mom. Never do I call her Dixie. So <laughs> I would call my mom woman every once in a while when I got into high school and was feeling sassy. You're one of the dumbest people I know. Why would you do that? And I, I told her it's because Jesus called his mother woman. Oh, my gosh. That makes you even dumber, dude. It's true. That's worse. It's Why true. would you do that? Because Jesus. WWJD. Yeah. Is that it? Jesus oh would gosh. call his mother woman. You were Christian school. <laughs> <laughs> Anyone with any common sense wouldn't do that. <laughs> My mother and I have a fantastic relationship. Okay, true that. And All it's right. full, just rife with sarcasm and competition and, I mean, could you tell? Competition? Yeah, we're competitive people. We always have to it be right. It seems that that takes away be... from the mother-son dynamic, being competitive. You and I have different mothers. See, you, for sure. For sure. For sure. And I'm not going to go there because I still want my mom to like me. Yeah. And, so. and the difference between my mom and your mom is your mom listens to this podcast. So, <laughs> kind of, sort of. I'm not sure she does as often as you think she does. Well, here's a test. But I've never straight up asked her, what's the test? Do Dix- you, Dixie? No. Pat's, no. Don't Pat, call her Dixie. Pat's mom. 
Miss, Mrs. Mathers. Mrs. Mathers. If you're listening to this, text your son and tell him, <laughs> yes, Patrick, no. I listen to this. Comment on somewhere. Send us an email. Send us a text. Do the tweeter. Call him by phone. It's on our website. <laughs> yeah, the phone number's on our website. And you're salty because the only person who's ever actually called me was like romancing you. That's right. <laughs> and then he called me, and I love that guy. We had a great conversation. Paul's a good dude. Paul is a great dude. I wish he was not in Michigan. Different Paul, by the way. <laughs> yeah. Paul, Paul in Paul's the room. in the room. We're is not different. talking yeah, about yeah, you. Yeah. No, we're talking Paul from Daily Christian Podcast. Yeah. Shout out. And, and hey, dude, I listened to his one today on Lying. Oh, gold. That one was so good. Dude, I love the format. Like Just I that simple little, like, three-minute, like, yeah. here's the story, here's the text, go read your Bible and pray. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's really good, dude. I love it. And like, it Shout show- out, Paul. We love you. Yeah, it just shows how it doesn't have to be you sitting down with your Bible for 45 minutes yeah. and praying for 15 or 20 minutes. Like, people have it in their mind that if you're going to do, like, a daily devotion type thing, that it, it's going to just take up so much time and be this cumbersome be thing. a chore, yeah. yeah. It's not. Yeah. Crack it open, read a couple verses, pray, and move on. Yeah. Yeah. As Paul, our brother Paul would say, make God a priority again. Make God a priority again. Yep. Daily Christian Podcast. Belonging before believing listeners, you should be listening to Daily Christian Podcast. That's true. Anyway. Anyways. The topic today is your topic. It is. It's my topic. And I want to talk about suicide. We, in our culture, have had two, and I'm, I'm assuming it's only still two by the time this comes out. Yeah. Um, Anthony Bourdain and David Spade's sister. Why can't I remember her first name? I didn't know about this name? one. Yeah, she was that fashion designer. Um, and I'd seen her do stuff before, and I knew she was D- David Spade's sister, but I can't, I can't remember her first name. Are you Googling it? Yeah. Yeah. Anyways... They they have just recently um, committed. Kate Spade. Suicide. Kate, yeah, Kate Spade. That's David Spade's sister. Yeah, wow, yeah. I didn't know that. And um, and so suicide is always something that's front and center in our culture. Sister in law. In oh, is it mm-hmm. sister in law? Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. Um, it's always something that's front and center in our culture, largely because that it happens frequently, and unfortunately, that's the case. And I. I don't know if I'm speaking out of turn, but I would be really surprised if there was people listening who didn't have at least one person that they knew about who, or knew in their, you know, locale or whatever, who committed suicide. Do you know, do you have somebody in your own life who even like distantly committed suicide, Brian? So actually, yeah. And it's, I was just talking to a friend about this because uh, his his brother's best friend um, committed suicide and he was having a really hard time with it. Like it was sticking with him. And um, like I said, it was his brother's friend. It wasn't like necessarily his friend. And he was kind of, you know, surprised by how hard it hit him. And I told him the example for me, I can only think of two, maybe three kids growing up where I would say like, they bullied me. Um, and I got teased a bunch. I was a fat kid whose last name was Gumpy right around when Forrest Gump came out. Like, I was an easy target. but Still <clears> are. Yeah, totally. But anyway, uh, but there were a couple, two or three guys who were really, really rough on me. And one of them was this guy, and he uh, committed suicide. And, dude, it wrecked me. 
wrecked me. Yeah. And, and I think like a lot of it was just because like I know how like dark his life must have been. Obviously somebody who treated me so poorly. Like I know that there's like obviously like a lot of pain there. Um and you'd think that it like somebody being so terrible to me would make it easier. I think it just made it way, 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 way harder and way dark. Like there's like just no like I just didn't feel any hope, you know? Did you ever think about it for yourself at all ever? No. Okay. No. So I I did. Um, it was before I was Christian. Mm. Interesting story because I actually had a gun in my hand and was like just like wrestling with it and tears streaming down my face, like trying to get the balls up to do it. And then the phone rang and I picked it up and it was a Christian dude who I knew. And he was just like out of the blue had called me like, Hey, you know, I don't know what's going on, but just, you know, I, I felt like I should call you right now. What's going on with you? <laughs> That's crazy. Yeah, and, and I didn't know what to tell him at that moment, so I said, I just said, hey, dude, will you meet me at In-N-Out? Because there's an In-N-Out right around the corner where I grew up in Garden Grove. And we went over to that In-N-Out, and I just spilled my guts and started crying, and he prayed with me. I didn't become a Christian there right. at that point, but I had a dude who, like, listened to me and... Clearly the Lord, you know, had had him looking out for me. I mean, you, you're, our days are numbered, and my numbers weren't up yet at that particular time. Um, and my wife has. I mean, she's really struggled. You know this. She's really struggled with depression. And I, we should probably do an episode on depression sometime. Absolutely. Um, but she has really debilitating clinical depression to the point where um, for years, it's just been hard to get out of bed. And so she, she has struggled with that. And we've had lots of talks along those lines, not recently, but you know, we, we, we have had them. So it's something that I, I think about because I've not only contemplated it, but it, in my mind, I've been really close to it. My wife has been, has contemplated it. And, uh, you know, I've had friends growing up who did kill themselves. And, um, so it's been something that's there. When I first became a Christian and I went to the Bible college, I did the president there, his son actually committed suicide and he wrote a book about suicide in the church. And I think one of the, um, stigmas that there is about suicide is that somehow if you do this, then you go to hell or, or purgatory or, you know that you know, but but you you don't get saved. No, I remember growing up, people talking like that. Yeah, yeah, and and so I remember, as a young Christian, that that was one of the very first things that was compelling to me to really study, and so I dug into the Bible and read and read and read, and in the Bible there are six people who kill themselves. Uh, two of them are kind of insignificant. Well, no, well, nobody's life is insignificant. That's not fair to say. Biblically speaking, they aren't major players. The um, two other ones are Saul at the end of 1 Samuel and his armor bearer, the guy who was like supposed to be his bodyguard. Uh, Saul, at the very end of his life, he's in a battle and he's mortally wounded. And he asks his armor bearer to kill him so that it won't be that his enemy slayed him. And the armor bearer refuses to do it because if he kills the king, 
his life is forfeit. Mm-hmm. So Saul takes his own sword and falls on it and kills himself. And then the armor bearer there in that moment realizes that his life is forfeit anyway, so he kills himself. The Bible doesn't tell us what happened to, to either one of those people, or either any of those four, I should say. There's an implication that Saul went to hell. Nothing explicit, though, so I, I certainly don't want to be explicit in it. So four Certainly people, nothing that would say it was because... Nothing he, definitive. Well, and nothing about how it was because he killed himself. Right, right. exactly. Nothing but about that. It was before that where Samuel came back and, you know, had it, it kind of implied that... Saul had gonna, other issues. He had way, <laughs> way, man, he had so many issues. Yeah. But there are two other people in the Bible that actually did kill themselves, and the Bible is very clear about what happened to them after life. Um, the first one is Judas... He went out and he hung himself, and he hung himself from a tree, and apparently as he was dying, the branch broke, and he fell down, and the stone cut open his belly, and his innards gushed out. Real gruesome kind of death. But he, he was in, went to hell for sure. And in fact, Jesus prophesied that that was going to happen in John chapter 6, long before the crucifixion, long before Judas betrayed him. And it was because his heart just had never savingly believed in Christ. He had ulterior motives for being one of Jesus' disciples. But the other person that I have in mind that the Bible speaks about is Samson. They're in Judges. And he has this, you know, real Shakespearean kind of life. No kidding. You know? That's and a good way of putting it. Yeah. He, he has high highs and low lows. And so at his height, he's super strong. He's a judge of Israel. He defeats the Philistines on several occasions. And then, of course, Delilah comes along and seduces him and finally gets the secret of his strength out of him after quite a while of asking and cajoling. And the Philistines cut his hair, where that was the source of his strength. They gouge out his eyes, and they kind of put him up as a sideshow in the temple. So when they'd have big parties, they'd have Samson come out and say, here's the strong man of Israel. Look at how lame he is now. But his hair started to grow and his strength came back to him. And there at the end of his life, he has a young boy put him next to the two main support pillars there in the temple in Philistia. And he pull, he prays, God, give me the strength here in my death. And so he knew he was dying. He was committing suicide by this act to pull the temple down upon himself and all that was there. And then the comment is that in his, in his death, as a judge, he actually defeated more enemies than he ever did in his entire life. And we know he's in heaven because the book of Hebrews chapter 11 tells us that he's one of the Hall of Faith members right. there. So even though he had committed suicide, it's not an unpardonable sin. It's not one of these things that if you do this, you go to hell. We, we know this from, from Samson's life. So we have these stories, these people who did these things, who committed suicide in Scripture, and so we have definitive person who went to hell and a definitive person who is in heaven with the Lord there, Samson. So um, from there, what, what do we do with suicide? I think the first thing we want to do is acknowledge that the issues and um, circumstances that lead a person 
to even contemplate suicide is something that we don't want to minimize. I'm, I'm afraid that in the church that we do kind of poo-poo depression, anxiety, bullying, stress, things that, that, you know, we can, even as I'm saying them, I can in my own mind kind of go, well, those aren't big issues, but they are. When people are going through them, they're really serious major issues. Sometimes it's financial woes. Sometimes it's marital woes. Sometimes it's just, you know, chemically, medically, your brain is just firing wrongly in, in the act of depression or something like that. It's, it's something where a lot of damage is done because of something that people don't understand. Because of the stigma. Well, definitely. But I think the stigma is there too because they don't understand. Right. I mean, it would be like there, there would be a stigma in the church if we tolerated somebody who was having these particular issues. Like I mean, basically we're telling them, come on, you should just buck up. Look at the rest of us. Pray and read your Bible. Pray anyway, and read your Bible, right. We're, right. Yeah, we're definitely doing a depression episode. Right. Yeah. Anyway, right. sorry, didn't mean to sidetrack you. No, no, it's, that's, it's helpful to, to bring up those questions. So we know in Scripture that it isn't unpardonable sin. Um, working in the funeral industry and working as a pastor, um, I've been to funerals, suicides, and it is, you know, we we're talking before the podcast, it's, it's a very selfish act. It really is in most cases. That is going to make some people cringe. No, and that's fine. That. And I, and I get that it, because, and here's why I need to say that is because if there is somebody who listens to that really is struggling with it, you need to know that you leave behind dozens, perhaps more people who are going to have to deal with that the rest of their life and grieve over it and wonder if there was something they could have done and they're going to go back and they're scrutinized. Or that they the, did do. Or that they did do something to lead you to it. Yeah, they're going to go back and they're going to scrutinize every encounter that they had with you and they're going to do it ad nauseum and they're going to come across something that they're going to persuade themselves that they could have done differently or they said something that they shouldn't have or something along those lines to drive you to that point. So I want to beg you, first of all, if you are listening to this and you are in the process of contemplating this kind of thing, um, number one, just stop, take a breather, take a breath, and find somebody objective that you can talk to. Not somebody who you're going to talk to and they're just going to blow you off or somebody who you know you talk to that you're, they're like, oh, all they're going to do is just talk me out of this just like they have before. Somebody who will genuinely listen to you. It might be a counselor. It might be a pastor. If you're in Chico, I, I'm available. You would, Brian's available. We would love to just sit down and listen to you. For the first We're, time, like not even kidding, Pat's number is on our website, sovereignjoycf.org. <laughs> yeah. Um, but but seriously, we would just listen to you. We don't need to preach at you or tell you things that you probably already know. Uh, and I, I think you just need somebody to listen and somebody to be there and be a friend and, and somebody who has an understanding ear. And that's something that, that I certainly don't minimize and, and I, I don't um, make light of. We, we want to be here for you. The second thing that I 
really want to say is that, that there is hope. That um, oftentimes these things do pass. And sometimes you need a strong support system around you to help you get through it. But this is not an end in and of itself. This is not the the culmination of your life. That it, bad things have happened. Sometimes it's a response to a breakup or a response to um, some very critical things people have done. Um, there's life beyond that. Good, joyful, hopeful life. I mean, you know, I, I just want to go back to me and my wife is that that there were times where, you know, she's talked about, I just, you know, want to drive my vehicle off the, off the highway kind of thing. But she's like, I know I can't do it for you and for the kids. And then we sit and we talk about it. And then she's, you know, thankful that she didn't because there, there is life beyond it. And we've been married for, you know, a long time now and Lord willing, we'll be married for a long time more. And one of the things that that has come about is that there's joyful things. Life is not easy. I don't want anybody to hear me saying that it's just easy, buck up, get over it. It is not. Life is hard. It's difficult. There's pain in this life. There is no perfect joy and perfect um, sanity this side of heaven. But what there is, is there is hope and there are people who do love Jesus and love you, who would want to surround you and be here for you and, and just be an empathetic uh, figure in your life that can say, I might not understand everything that you're going through, but I'm here and I'm going to go through it with you. Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't have a lot to, to add, honestly. The uh, Yeah. So another thing that I would want to say is that um, what, what we want to do as a church is speaking to the people who maybe aren't struggling with these particular issues is that we want to, number one, be sensitive, that there are people right now in the congregations that we're a part of who are struggling with the very depths of the worst things that a soul can go through. They are there right now, beyond a shadow of a doubt. It could the, be your pastor. It could be your pastor. Yeah. Well, it's not me right now. Right. But I, but I have struggled so, with that. So if you're at Sovereign Joy, you're okay right now. No, but seriously. Yeah, it could be your pastor. And, I, and I, I know. I know a guy I went to Bible college with, became a pastor, and did kill himself. I know, I know a guy yeah. who that happened to. So. And ministry's hard. I mean, people suck. And oftentimes in the ministry, people expect the best of you and then treat you the worst. It's taxing. Yeah. But, but anyways, it's, uh, th- there are people in the congregation that you're in. Whoever's listening to this right now, there's somebody in your congregation that's really going through something difficult right now. I guarantee it. Mm-hmm. What we want to do is we want to be sensitive to those people, uber compassionate, extra compassionate to those people. We want to be somebody who's there for them and not allow what, whatever, anything that, that they may have to be something that trips us up. But instead, we want to go out of our way to make sure that we're there for those, show hospitality to those people, that, that they genuinely need a friend. They need a support system around them. 
so they don't feel alone. People kill themselves. People commit suicide because they think they're alone and there's no hope. There is no future. So what we as the church can provide is hope and friendship. Those two things are going to be huge in the lives of those people around us. The second thing that we don't want to do is we don't want to treat um, these debilitating, you know, types of depression that people go through as a, you know, something that is stupid and just read your Bible and pray more. We want to make sure that we understand with sensitivity that, that there's some, some counseling that maybe needs to be done. There's some medicine that maybe needs to be taken, but that we want to be there for them and yes, help them get through Yes, medicine can be okay. No, it should be. <sighs> it's, it's just like, I, this isn't intended to be a depression episode, but um, when our body hurts, we take medicine. When our body's out of kilter, we go to the doctor. We don't have a problem with it in the church in any other way except mentally, which is wrong. It's wrong. It's sin for the church to think that mental illness should be healed by reading your Bible and pray, praying. The, the mind is an organ just like the rest of our body. It can get out of kilter just like everything else. There's nothing wrong with taking antidepressants with taking medication with going to doctors that can help with those kind of issues and we in the church need to acknowledge that and we need to help people out and even point people in those directions where they can get the help that they need when they're struggling through these issues we want to be there for people we 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 want when people are in the depths and then the darkest place when they start saying things that should cause us to perk up an ear and go, oh, what's going on here? To pull them aside and say, whoa, 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 what are you, what are you saying here? What, what do you mean by, you know, this is, sounds kind of final, what you're saying. What we don't want to do is just, just, just kind of go, oh, you know, that's how they are. Oh, you know, that's not that big a deal. We want to be sensitive to those times when people are saying those things that are the trigger warnings for something like suicide and we want to take that with all the seriousness we can, and, and we want to aggressively be there for them, aggressively love them, have compassion, and, and help them through this particular issue, whatever it is. It's really hard not to turn this into a depression episode. There's like so many things. <laughs> I yeah. want to jump in and do that, but um, yeah. Well, go. Do you have a thought? I mean, we got a few minutes, right? Um. I actually haven't looked at how long we've been going here. Oh. Yeah, we're still running a little bit short. Uh, yeah, I just, I feel like we try to make things far too simple. Um, that while we understand that there is absolute truth, um, that doesn't mean that, that human lives end up being black and white. And, you know, the, things are messy. And uh, when you see a Christian who's struggling, when you see a Christian who is having, you know, these type of thoughts and are having these type of, I mean, attacks, um, it's, it can be easy to think, oh, well, you shouldn't be like that. You're a Christian. And that's because, like I said, we try to make things black and white. You're either suicidal or you're a Christian. <laughs> well, I, especially as Calvinists. I think oh, yeah. we can go, why aren't you trusting in God? Why, you know, why aren't you trusting in his you know, sovereignty? In this? When in reality, we should be thinking God is sovereign even in this. God's 
permitting them to go through this, ordaining them to go through this, what do I need to do to go through them with it? Right. How can I be the best Christian I can be to help them get through this particular time that God is allowing them to go through to, to grow both of us together in this? Yeah. So I guess the one thing that I would... Do you think people are lazy and that's why they don't want to go help people? I kind of think that, but I don't want to broad brush. I'm sure that's some of it. Yeah. But that's for sure not all of it. Yeah. Um, I guess uh, when, I mean, while you're talking about sovereignty here, one thing that I would be able to contribute to this is that hardship is a terrible thing to waste. Um, oh, that's a great point. A terrible thing to waste. And so if you either are going through this right now or um, if you're somebody who has gone through it in the past, like it was not in vain. It was not for nothing. You were going to be able to be helpful and minister graciously to people who are suffering in a way that I'm not qualified to do. Um, And in a weird way, I may not have suffered in this way, but I have suffered in other ways where knowing that God is able and he's been faithful to use it um, for good has been something that has made it all worth it. That, you know, makes it so that you can still say God is good because you see the good that can come out of such terrible things. Yeah. In the beginning of 2 Corinthians, it said, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of all mercies and God of all comfort. He comforts us in all of our afflictions so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort that we ourselves have been comforted by God. For we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, so through Christ we share in his comfort too. If we are afflicted, it's for your comfort and for your salvation. If you're comforted, pardon me, if we are comforted, it's for your comfort, which you experience when you patiently endure the same sufferings we suffer. Suffering is, in all oddity of oddities, something that's precious to God, a gift from God. It causes us to relate to one another, to understand one another, and ultimately worship Christ better because we get to share in his sufferings. And he went through sufferings that we don't understand. But as long as, but as we come alongside and share in those sufferings, we're able to suffer with one another in a way that exhibits mercy and grace and comfort and love towards those people around us who are really going through it. It's never meaningless. Never, never. It always has value. Well, question question of the day. day. (laughs) (laughs) You want me to pick one? Sure. Here's a good one. What is the most beautiful place that you have ever been to? What is the most beautiful place that you've ever been to, Brian? The most beautiful place that I've ever been to. <sighs> I'm trying to think of something in nature, but I'll tell you what. I got to, I've been here twice. Um, the most recent time was with my wife <clears throat> in Chicago. There's a long, long wait, and it's expensive to get to the top of the Sears Tower. It's actually called the Willis Tower now. So there's this other building that's like, five stories shorter and there's this sweet restaurant bar up there and um 
So we are up on the, I forget what it is, like the 78th floor or something like that, probably even more. And um, we're up there, and it's at night, and you can see what feels like the entire state. Mm. And being able to be up there and just feel so, so small is just so awesome and so impressive. What about you? I, I, I think of two things, and they both make me feel small um, and insignificant. One is the Grand Canyon. I went there with my friend Moxie, and, and he didn't kill himself. Uh, I love Moxie, but he uh, he he went down a different path, and and um, and uh, I I I, st- I still love him, even though he's gone on. Um, but we went to the Grand Canyon together one year, just on a whim. He's from Scotland, and he's like, "I've never been to the Grand Canyon." I just said, "Let's go," and we literally yeah. just got in the car and went. It was fantastic. One of my favorite trips I've ever been on in my life. And we went to the Grand Canyon, and I remember both of us just standing there just in awe, feeling so utterly insignificant, just the beauty and the grandeur of the thing. And the second place that I felt like that, oddly enough, is in Israel. <laughs> and we were in the, the Valley of Megiddo, and one of the guys we were with was like, this is where the last battle is going to take place, and I'm, I'm, I'm <laughs> not there anymore. I don't believe the same theological eschatology that way. But anyways, I do remember thinking as I was standing there, this is one of the most beautiful places I've ever been. I don't know why everyone doesn't live here. (laughs) It was so beautiful. In Israel. In Israel. (laughs) It's so beautiful. So beautiful. Anyways, listener, what's the most beautiful place that you've ever been to? If you're out there and you are having a hard time, you're going through it and you're feeling these things that you are just completely alone, we believe that you belong. 